So, Aaron, I'm going to start off by asking you a very personal question at the start of the podcast. Oh? How much money do you think that you generate for your local economy? Very, very little. Um, <laughs> no, no. Like, uh, You've got your finger in many pies. I wouldn't uh, doubt, doubt yourself. Um, I don't know. What does the average person generate? Probably... Jeez, like when you think about all the tax that's taken out of everything you do, probably mm. 10,000, 15,000. I don't know. Oh, you must be earning millions. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, what do you think? What do you think you made? Or what you contributed um, or generated? I mean, it's definitely it's definitely in the hundreds of thousands. Oh, you? You, you generated hundreds of thousands? Yeah, like I regularly go to the shop and sprinkle hundreds of thousands all uh, around the local area just okay. to be charitable. Okay. <laughs> what are you getting at, Colin? No, I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't like to put a number on it, but the reason I ask is because uh, the fine people at Ernst & Young, those lovely accountancy people, they conducted a report about the economic and social impact of the Premier League. And it's a really interesting read. It is, I actually. perused through it. There's, it's a, a full 32-page document. You, you can um, find it on the Premier League's website if you just give it a quick Google. Anybody who's interested in football and finance, and just generally finding out a bit more about the Premier League and what they do behind the scenes, um, I would definitely recommend it. Mm. But, you know, we're going to give it our best shot to try and dilute the most important parts of what we found interesting from it anyway. For sure, yeah. And, like, it, 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 it's actually just like we were talking about this just before we start recording, that, like, looking into it, it sounds Six like... Six hours ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we have a <laughs> long, long chats just before we hit the record button, um, which... It's good. It's good that we don't record them. Let's just say that, like, because the amount of <laughs> shite we talk is unreal. But um, yeah, looking at something like finances, you could think it could kind of be boring, or you know, it it could bring you down. But actually, we found that the Premier League, anyway, is is a kind of a, very much a force for good when it comes to um, finances, and it's it's actually quite positive to look at like what they've done, especially over you know, what, what, what they bring to the table in terms of a tax base for a country and positivity in a community, uh, yeah. especially over, like, many lockdowns and a pandemic. Like, it's, it's actually really good. Yeah, now I should add this caveat that the report was obviously published with the say-so of the Premier League and uh, it's very much, they were very much involved in it. So, but, you know, that being said, we're going to be overwhelmingly positive about everything that the Premier League does, anyway, certainly in terms of a, a fiscal matter, anyway. Mm. Well, I don't. I, I, I like. I mean, they are. You know, they're they're a lot of the Premier League clubs are are clubs that trade on the stock market. Like their their finances are there to be seen. Like it's very hard to be yeah. hiding much of this. And I think, like sometimes, you know, sometimes these things are actually positive. It just you know, and I know like it's a good it's a good piece for the Premier League and to show how positive they are, but. They are positive. I mean, I'm sure there's like, I'm sure there's bad sides of certain clubs and we've talked about like, you know, financial fair play and some, you know, some kind of messing around that sort of stuff. But like, you know, and, and we do tend to like to be kind of curmudgeons, but like, I found it hard to be negative Ooh. about this, especially when things are looking a little bit brighter in general. True. Yeah. yeah. I think we're trying to turn over a new leaf. It might last about six hours, but... New year, uh, new me. turnover nonetheless. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I guess for me, the main headline that kind of stuck out was 
the fact that the Premier League contributed £7.6 billion pounds mm. to the UK economy during the 2019-2020 season. Yeah. It's a huge amount of money, huge. Yeah. And to remember that, like, Basically, if you especially if you count in the international break in terms of matches, like there's really only about two and a half to two months of actual football in that period of 2019 before they, well, I you know between that and March, there's probably about four full months of football in the Premier League. There's a lot of football mm-hmm. left to go, so you could roughly say about half of the league that year had a proper attendance, and then sure we know everyone knows what happens after that, like. Yeah, like we'll touch on a little bit in when we kind of we go into a bit more detail as regards COVID and mm-hmm. and what happened around that period of time, and also uh, they did predict how much money the league would have generated if it hadn't been for COVID, if it had been a regular season. So we might touch on that in a little bit, but um, the main kind of standout uh, statistic I thought was really interesting, and just because we talked about COVID just there, I think. One thing that footballers got a lot of flack for at the very beginning of the lockdown back in March of 2020 was that a lot of football clubs are putting, you know, in inverted commas, non-essential staff on furlough. Mm -hmm. And football players were getting a lot of flack saying that they shouldn't be taking their full salary. Yeah. And a lot of footballers came out in defense of themselves and said, you know, it's not our responsibility. Uh, We're the ones that make money for the football clubs and we also pay in a lot of money in tax a huge and this amount. report this report actually substantiates that so of the 7.6 billion pounds that the Premier League contributes uh, the total of amount generated in tax contributions is 3.6 billion pounds and uh, 1.4 billion pounds of that is generated from players salaries which is so, a, which is a huge, huge amount, amount of money well, like yeah. it's it's over thirty percent, thirty three percent of it. Like it's over a third generated just from the players themselves and their taxes. And like that's not even to mention the fact that like players like Jordan Henderson basically organized like huge whip arounds of like wages, like taking not taking wage cuts, but using a percentage of their wages to contribute to the NHS and to 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 anything to help with the pandemic during that time as well. Take care of should, staff should that we- had been furloughed. Like as well, that's what they they did do that. Should we do some rough maths really quickly and say if there's 20 Premier League clubs and each team, each first team's got 25 first team players and obviously the the highest paid player at Man United is going to get paid a lot more money than the highest player at Norwich. Yeah. So let's just say for argument's sake, they're all getting paid the same. So 25 <laughs> by 20 is what, 500? Yeah. So divide 500 into 1.4 billion and you get some figure. <laughs> you do um, get, you, you <laughs> certainly get some figure, all right. Uh, I just realized as I went on there, I was like, there's no way I'm going to I was thinking to, of all uh, the numbers that were involved. This was like, unless Colin's been doing a lot of brain training over the Christmas period yeah. and, and early January, he is not going anywhere with this. You um you say something funny there. Tell a funny uh, a little. <laughs> well, I can um, just joke. see. I I can see Colin right now, and he's got the calculator out. So yeah. we will actually have a number for you fairly soon. But um, mm. no, I I think it's I think it's all really positive. And like when you go back to that number of seven point six billion of what it's generated, like it takes it takes one hundred and ninety two billion a year to run the NHS. So that is roughly yeah. that's roughly four percent of all of the money that the NHS would need. Like most clubs, I, I actually think nearly all the Premier League clubs, and this goes down into the championship and everything below, they all they raise money for their local hospitals and local uh, care homes and 
everything like that every single year. So there's a kind of oh. a an unmonitored, or at least as far as I could tell, contribution that they make as well, which which is huge, you know? Mm. So I've done some quick maths on the L calculator there, and it turns out that 1.4 billion divided by 500, would you care to give a guess? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> it, it comes out on average at 2.8 million pounds. So that means that your average footballer, Premier League footballer, contributes 2.8 million pounds in taxes. Huge. So it's not, not a not a bad figure. And it's a good bit more than me. That's obviously taken, yeah, substantially less than what I contribute, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's still a big number. It's a lot. It's a fair play to them. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, like, um, players at bigger clubs will, will be contributing more money and, you know, maybe players at smaller clubs won't be. But um, yeah, it's still a huge figure. Well, listen, anybody, like, I mean, we can always make the, that argument about, like, the income of, it's easy for someone who's making millions to give millions, but, like, tell anyone to give 20% of their income or whatever, or 40% of their income mm. to, it's it's a lot of money that's generated. And then they, they go beyond that, and they're all quite, like, a lot of Premier League players are quite philanthropic as well, like, so... It's interesting as well, because if you look at the amount of money, uh, and you, I guess you could kind of, you could make a comparison to television rights deals and how they've increased substantially over the last kind of 20 years. And if you look back to the 1998-99 season, since then there's been an 840% increase in the economic activity that Premier League teams generate. Mm. So that's almost um, 1,000%. So it just goes to show you, like as the television rights deals have increased, the amount mm. of money that... Premier League clubs generate for the economy has increased also. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, and it and it is encouraging to see that that moved in tandem. Like, it didn't become a thing whereby their contribution in terms of percentage shrank the more money they made. They like they haven't mm. tried to be too shrewd about it. They have actually just continued to uh, contribute to, I suppose, the overall country. But also, like, they contribute a lot to like. Every most most Premier League clubs like contribute a lot to their to their local area. They're not like a, they're not just a, a faceless business in the middle of the area. Yeah, like you touched on it. Like as as the Premier League has grown and as football clubs grow, inevitably inevitably they need uh, more staff members, mm. um, and that means more employment for people in the local community and across the country as a whole. And uh, again, since 1998-99, the amount of team, amount of people employed, both directly and indirectly by Premier League football teams, has increased from eleven thousand to eighty-seven thousand. Yeah, so it's a huge. Six hundred and fifty percent increase. Massive amount of people being employed by Premier Leagues. You mentioned there at the beginning, actually before the podcast, like twenty years ago, you had your first team coach, you had your manager. And maybe a physio and a few backroom staff coaches. Yeah, you you mentioned there before the podcast, like all the people involved behind the scenes at a football club. Well, like even even if you look at like departments now, like the medical departments have expanded massively into like you know they'll 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 have physiotherapists, they might have reflexologists, they might have like they have different kinds of masseuses, they'll have many doctors, like you know people who are you know, so many professionals that are, are basically being paid good wages to be there. And then like even other departments, like there was never um, like a mental well-being kind of department in a club. Um, there was never, you know, as much put into it. Like, you know, they would have had cooks and stuff like that. But now there's like nutrition teams, people who are planning 
to down to an individual level for some players what they eat mm. and when they eat it. There's there's uh, departments that are basically there to help players deal with moving to a new country. Like they'll they'll take mm-hmm. care of families, they'll take care of accommodation, they'll take care of any education things that they want to do to just make it easier for a player to to make the move. Like these things mm. were just not done. Like and now mm. like that's why we've seen such an increase in staff in um in Premier League clubs and like that has to have a positive uh, impact on an area because like obviously in very competitive jobs like you know team doctors and stuff like that it, it's a global um it's it's a global canvas and a global a co- global population that they're pulling the best and brightest from but like a lot of like there's a lot of like menial and like n- not as skilled labor that they'll definitely pull from the local community and there's people who can come in and do those jobs so there's people and that's only got to benefit a club as well if you've got like every club mm. talks about wanting to bring a local lad like through the academy to have like the kind of you know the heart of the club the heart of the community in it that like people don't often talk about how a lot of like the staff in clubs that run different things are actually from the area as well and that that really helps like when they when someone who who is from Manchester or Liverpool or Newcastle or you know we're any other part of of the UK um is from the area comes in and works there and comes home and talks about being at the club like it, it they they bring that to the restaurant they bring that to the pub it's it's a it's a good feeling for I think fans to know that the club actually gives work and helps the area. It's not just there to pinch your pocket. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you make because it, it would it's strange considering I'm a Man United fan that I spend so much time on YouTube looking at Liverpool's uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I don't say so much time, but on on occasion, living in your head, rent free, we up. are. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when a recommended video pops up and I just happen to click on it, out of pure boredom, I might add. I wonder why the YouTube um, algorithm keeps giving you Liverpool videos. No idea. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. I should really stop watching the 1005 Champions League highlights. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, when they do those behind the scenes, when they visit, it's not Melwood anymore. What's the training ground called? Uh, the AXA training the AXA, facility. Yeah, yeah. They should come up with a more catchy name. Yeah. But it's interesting, you know, like they do all the behind the scenes and they talk to the receptionists and the canteen staff and just people generally working around the training ground and all of them have a Liverpool accent. Yeah, it's great. So, you know, they do employ local people and that must be a great feeling, particularly if you're a football fan, knowing that you live in the local community and you work for one of the biggest football teams in Liverpool. I'm not going to say the world because, you know... (laughs) One of the biggest football teams Just, in the world. You can say it. It's true. No, I'm not going to. I'll it's let true. You, I'll let you lie on this podcast. <laughs> but um, you mentioned COVID, and I think it's it kind of leads nicely into the next point, which I think we want to talk about, which is the effects of COVID. And, and had COVID not happened, the amount of money that football clubs w- would have generated would have been significantly higher. Okay. So um, according to the study by Ernst & Young, uh, they estimate that if the COVID-19 pandemic hadn't happened, that the amount of money football clubs generate could have been as much as £8.7 billion, pounds, yeah. which would have been another £1.1 billion pounds higher. So uh, you're almost talking near the £10 billion pound mark there. Yeah. So huge, huge amount of money. And also, uh, you talked about how important football is to people in the local community. But also, like outside of the local community in the Premier League, 
is the most watched football league in the world and with that brings loads of international interest and because of covid football fans from around the world haven't been able to visit the uk to yeah. come and see their favorite football team and the report estimates that 528,000 international visitors haven't been able to come to games because of covid-19 and that's led to a loss of 442 million pounds so it a lot just of goes to show you a lot of dollary dues mm. just goes to show you how much money um, and foreign interest is involved in the Premier League as well so well I was looking at like you know like we, we they talk about certain countries and like their biggest export you know like uh, like Sweden it would be ABBA and Volvo Ireland it's Guinness you know <laughs> what I mean forget about Ikea oh yeah where are you going to get your too. Swedish meatballs from <laughs> no but like you know like certain countries have their biggest export you know and people talk about sometimes it's kind of a little bit tongue-in-cheek about what they're most famous for, but it is really about what generates money for the country. Like, mm. you know, like like Ireland, it wouldn't, it definitely wouldn't be our cuisine, but it would be our, our pints of Guinness and maybe like our how we punch above our weight in in the arts in terms of actors and, and, and musicians and stuff like that. But like, I had a quick look. You'll go, you'll go a long way to find a nice bit of, a bit of steak nicer than a bit of Irish exactly. beef as well. It's, uh, it's pretty much, in the world, it's, uh, it's basically a, a Irish steak and Argentinian steak duking it out for the crown and I, I've tried Argent, Argentinian steak maybe with steak. some Kobe beef as well thrown in there for good yeah that's only faff though you know I mean if you have to do that much to it to make it nice I mean all we have to do is let them eat the green green grass <laughs> anyway exactly I'm not going to get too we'll patriotic expect here expect our check from Falch Ireland any day now yeah I mean if you have to be massaging your cow and feeding it special IPAs and all that come on leave me alone yeah but, but anyway, give over I mean, it's 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 a huge hitter in the world. It it is it is broadcast. We've talked about this before. It's broadcast worldwide, and its popularity is only increasing, like only yeah, increasing. I mean, it, it's more popular the, than any other league in the world. Like, yeah, the the best way to judge or discover how popular the Premier League is is by comparing it to the top five leagues or the top four other leagues, which we always hear so much about. The, the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga and Ligue 1. Yeah. And then also throw the, throw the Champions League in as well for good measure. So um, the report does say that the Premier League actually had double the global audience of the Champions League uh, over the last season. Um, now, fair enough, the Champion, Champions League does have about a third of the amount of games yeah. as... Um, the Premier League does but I mean you have to remember also the Premier League's got games like Norwich v um, you know Norwich v Aston Villa what? but um, yeah and also on the topic of the, the global appeal of the Premier League uh, of the top 50 most watched football games domestically in the 2019-20 season 42 of the top 50 games watched were Premier League games yeah. so there you go I feel like we should say something overwhelmingly positive about Norwich now that we've given them so much flack. They have a They've lovely, got a lovely strip. Gansey, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do have a lovely strip. They do. And yeah. like they re- they recently uh, they redid their their logo as well. Yeah, they updated it a bit, gave it a bit of a more modern twist. So that looks very impressive. And and they have great resilience because they keep coming back for more, even though they get whipped every time they're in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> and like no pun intended but they have a very nice backer in Delia Smith you know so no pun let's be no pun intended no pun intended but but, but uh, they, they, I, I can't believe how positive we're being yeah I, I think on the I want to say one more thing as well about the 
the interest and the global interest of the Premier League, and that's reflected also. We always hear about BT and uh, Sky, and now Amazon also, mm. duking it out for Premier League rights. And, you know, 5 billion, 5.6 billion is always the, I think was the last amount paid for the three-year period. But that, of course, is just domestic TV rights deals. Yeah. That's discounting the amount of money that's paid overseas. So it's staggering to find out how much money that the Premier League actually earns in overseas rights compared to the other four leagues. This interests in the Big me. Five. Yeah. So of all the four leagues combined, they earn £1.2 billion in overseas rights. That's League One, the Bundesliga, Serie A, and the Liga combined earn £1.2 billion. The Premier League by itself earns £1.4 billion. More, £200 million more than the other top four leagues combined. That's now, embarrassing. If that, doesn't, if that doesn't tell you about the dominance of the Premier League globally, I don't know what does. And you you were telling me this before. the this, I think this is a really interesting point about this as well. So obviously there you go and, and, and like all of those four leagues combined are actually making less than the Premier League is on TV rights deals. But you were saying that the Premier League is actually far more equitable in its in its distribution of the TV rights deals than all of those leagues as well. Especially the La Liga, wasn't it? Spanish League is, 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 yeah. is not equitable like, at iron- all. Ironically, one of the main talking points surrounding the Super League when it was ha- when it happened nearly a year ago now, back in May of 2021, yeah. was that the other top five teams, or the other the other teams in the big five leagues were envious of the Premier League and how much money they generated commercially. And one of the benefits for them to joining the Super League was that they would be on par with the Premier League in terms of how much money they'd be, they'd be earning. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic because if you look at it, the Premier League model is actually far more equitable equitable in terms of the money distributed across the league. So of all the money generated in the Premier League um, compared to, say, La Liga, uh, the percentage or the amount that, um, say, uh, Man City won the league last year, I can't yeah. remember who finished last, um, do you remember who finished last? I actually can't off the top of my head there now. I'll, le- le- you, you leave it with me. You go on and I'll find that mm. for you now. So Manchester City, who won the league, earned more, earned 1.6 uh, times more than what the team that finished last in the league. Yeah. And take the Spanish comparison in the Liga, the team that finished first, which was uh, Atletico Madrid last season, generated 3.8 times more money than the team that finished in the bottom spot. So that just goes to show you that across the league, the amount of money that's generated um, from all the teams is uh, is separated and uh, dispersed more evenly yeah. in the Premier League than it is in somewhere like the Liga. So, um, you know... It's, all, no, that's a, it's, it's such a positive. Uh, the team that the bottom uh, team last year was Sheffield United with a, a grand total of 23 points. There you go. Yeah. So, but they got paid. And Man City, yeah, Man City, who finished ahead of them, only earned uh, 1.6 times more money than they did in terms of prize money and television rights. So, well, this is it. And like, it, like it makes you think then as well. If that's the case, like, I mean, nobody is giving this money out for nothing. Just so, just before before you you go on, just to give like complete transparency as 
in comparison the Premier League compar- compared to the other four of the big five leagues. So, as I said, the ratio of income from the top to bottom, the Premier League is 1.6%. In, the, in League 1, it was 3.1%. In Serie A, it was 3.6%. Um, and, sorry, I say percent. No, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Times. Times, yeah. Um, 2.6 to 1. It was 3 Three point, yeah, three point seven to one, and as I said in league, it was three point eight to one. So none of them even come close in terms of equity. Um, the league has got a bit of greed going on there, doesn't it? It really does. Like, but this is the thing. This is so we go, just talking about the Super League just for a second, right? And I, I actually would like to come back to, it, but it's just something I think about in that moment. Is like when we think of like the teams that were involved in the, the trying to set up the Super League. If like TV rights, all these like media companies, they're not fools. They are offering this much money to this thing because it gets way more viewers, right? Mm. So, if you look at like, like you know Barcelona and Madrid, okay, in in Spain, who's who? Most people aren't tuning in to see them, and yet they wanted the same slice of pie that all the other Super League teams are getting. So, in a, in a lot yeah. of ways, like I mean, I, I I don't know how I feel about the Super League, but we we talked about it, and, and the more I talked about, it, the less I knew how I actually felt about it because I don't think the Champions League is actually done doing a, a good job either. But what I would say is that, like, I mean, it's it's more in all of their interests to get in bed with Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal. Like, it's way more in their interest to get in bed with them than yeah. it is for, like, Man United and Liverpool don't need to get in, in, in bed with them to get more, to get a fair chunk of TV rights deals, you know? No, and also when people were making the argument that the Super League was purely a commercial venture. Obviously, it was a commercial venture. And the reason why there were six Premier League teams in it and only two or three from Spain was because of the amount of money that Premier League teams generate. And as we've pointed out, generate in a far more equitable way Mm. than teams across the other big five leagues. So, Well, what what I would say is what I I love to bring up now as well when we're talking about this kind of these models and these leagues and how they operate is the is the parachute payments of the Premier League as well. If we're talking about how much money they generate and what they have done for... like, So obviously you win the Premier League or in, you're in the top couple of teams in the league. You make more money as a business than the teams in the championship and they make more money than the teams in the, in the first division and, and so on and so on. But the Premier yeah. League actually hands away a lot of money to keep afloat the leagues below it and to help you know, yeah. the overall health of the game in the UK. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, 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 they, well, they just, they see it as, you know, you strengthening the foundation of where players come from. Like, it, it, it's, it's only going to benefit the top league to take care of the leagues below it. It's not pulling up the ladder, it's actually really helping them below. And it's something that UEFA are, if you look at like their performance versus the Premier League, they're not pulling their weight in the same, fashion at all now I know with the Super League there was the lack of where equity didn't show up in the Super League was the lack of competition for teams being able to be swapped in and out of the actual Super League but mm. the, it, it definitely had a model it definitely had a model similar to the Premier League in terms of payments to clubs below it and the distribution yeah. of that wealth you love it even more when it expands to a larger format with 6,473 games. So <laughs> like, people people talked about the Super League being negative for the amount of games the teams would end up playing. 
if anybody's read into how the expansion of the Premier League or the expansion of the Champions League is going to happen next year, you'll soon see how many games the top teams will be playing as well. Yeah, and also teams that won't have qualified. So Barcelona are not doing too well in Liga this year. They're in sixth or seventh, even outside the Europa League spots. Mm. There's a, a chance that they might not qualify automatically for the Champions League next year, but because of the expansion of the Champions League and the new qualifying format they brought in, because they've been in the Champions League for the last 10, 15 years, they're guaranteed a spot because of their coefficient. So Yeah, so there, um, there you go. Like, If they talk about the equity or lack of equity of the co- competition or the competitive model of the Super League, they may as well look at the new model now the of the, of the Champions Swiss, League. The Swiss, Swiss model. Swiss model of the Champions League. It's not very equitable either. I think, I don't care what giant you are. If you're Barcelona, if you're Real Madrid, if you're Bayern Munich, if you're Liverpool, if you're Man United, doesn't matter who you are. If you don't quali- if you don't qualify, with, if you don't get enough points, you shouldn't be in the league. And that's the exciting part of it. Like, and if that's not yeah. there, I'm not going to be as interested. Like, it would sicken me to see Barcelona get in if they didn't actually get to, get to the spot that they should to. Just because everyone expects them to be there. It's like, well, they didn't. I agree. Isn't that, but like, and if you look at, like, if you look at, like, well, I'm going off on a tangent here and I'll try to stop it, but if you look, <laughs> but if you look at any film or any story or any book or any play that you, that we enjoy, there, there are like hero stories or redemption stories or, you know, the fallen giant who comes back. Like, give us that. What's, what's the point if, like, you know, ah, yeah, they shot James Bond, but he's fine anyway because James Bond can't die. He has to be in the next James Bond. Which actually is a bad example because there's always a next James Bond, but but you know what I mean. There has to be something on the line. If there's nothing on the line, what's to capture our what's to capture our imagination? It's very much I like think. the, you know, like you can just move the the Lakers to any state you want because it's just it doesn't matter. They're not really attached to anything. They don't actually mean anything. You know, they're just mm. they're just gonna win. Like that's yeah. what they're there. They're there to win. Yeah, I think it's fair as well to give an idea of how much money as well that the Premier League does actually generate in terms of parachute payments as well. Yeah, that's what we should actually get into that. <laughs> over the last season, sorry, 2019-2020, which is what this study looks at, the there's 138 EFL and National League clubs that the Premier League gave parachute payments to, totaling £455 million. So almost half a billion pounds that they gave away, which would have been generated from television rights and from match day incomes and whatever other way that they um, they generate the revenue. But um, when you think that they generate seven point six billion pounds and four hundred and fifty five million of that is ne- is then sent out in parachute payments, yeah, um, it's a substantial amount of money. Well, if you and it it kind of echoes what you were saying that the Premier League does look towards its future and also its past by giving clubs money who've dropped out of the league but also you know it props teams up who um, want an opportunity to get into the Premier League themselves but also like Paul Scholes mentioned this as well because obviously him and some of the the class of 92 started Salford and he said without the model that the Premier League exists underneath they they, they just bought the club they didn't start it well they, they 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 wouldn't be able to be stewards of that club basically like yeah. i mean and 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 there have been new club new clubs have emerged like there, there's club not every club is from 18 something do you know what i mean like and that's mm. that's important too is that there is if someone has the ambition or if a, if an area decides to start a club 
the dream is like it's all about like the, all these things are about dreams. Like I mean, like when you're yeah. a kid and you kick a ball, you dream. You you're thinking of these huge players. That's where it all starts. That's why it captures our imagination. That's why football mm. clubs are more than just businesses, and that's why they they know they have to pay into and and do the things in the community and and take care of below because. You know, what if there's a local club that just gets a little bit more serious, a little bit more serious over time, and then eventually they are in League 2 or League 1, mm-hmm. and these parachute payments, like, like Paul Scholes talked about that with Sal- Salford and saying that without the, the, the way the Premier League operates, these clubs could not exist. It just wouldn't, they're, they're not like, the, the UK is not the worst uh country for like, you know, the, the actual government and like taking care of, you know, sporting institutions, but like as we all know, everything needs some private money these days. Like it's it's very hard mm. for most things to be propped up just by the public coffers. It needs private investment, and the Premier League is just pretty much giving money away to clubs and not expecting anything back. Just hoping that the health of the league continues to be what it is, and like that yeah. does help keep dreams alive of these smaller clubs. And like you know, you look at we you look at Jamie Vardy. What if what if there wasn't Fleetwood with that money would he have you know he, he's like, he's a great story for a dream like he came the whole way through the league system and won the Premier League and has played for his country and scored for his country you know I mean would that exist if all those parachute payments didn't go down and take care of those lower league clubs and let them take a punt on a player no it probably wouldn't I don't, I don't believe Jamie Vardy would have come through all of that if, if, it, if it didn't exist yeah and I agree as well I also would say that it's far more desirable now I will admit that I don't watch an awful lot of football outside of the Premier League Mm. but the reason why all these clubs exist is because it's not solely because of parachute payments but there is um, trickle down money from the Premier League Mm. and it does result in in the Championship which is is widely regarded as the most competitive league um, in one of the most competitive leagues in Europe and exciting because at the start of the year you don't know who's going to win it Mm. But for me, that's much more desirable than tuning in to, say, Serie B or Serie C or the Segunda Division in Spain, where you just have Barcelona and Real Madrid putting out their Castillo teams, you know, yeah. their, their second string sides. And if you go down to um, the the third division in Spain as well, you've got Barcelona and Madrid as well, who would feel they're under 23 teams. And for me, I'd much rather see uh, a very competitive league um, that has an opportunity to get promoted because, of course, you know, the second string sides of Barcelona, Real Madrid can't get promoted because they can never be in the same league yeah. as their parent club. So for me, it's a lot more desirable to, s- to have a competitive division below you and that wouldn't be achievable without these parachute payments that the Premier League provides. Well, so. y- y- you only have to see the players that have come, like the cha- you talk about the championship, the players that have come from, like it's it's obviously working this trickle-down thing about, like there is, a, there is a pipeline that players are actually developing. Like, you know, the championship is much healthier now than it was 20 years ago. And yeah. great, young players are coming from the championship but you look, you look at Harvey mm-hmm. Elliott coming from Fulham you look at uh, Olise who's just gone from Reading to Crystal Palace and is already being tipped for a bigger move to a to a top six club you know you, you look at this there's a new kid Carvalho at Fulham again who's already being tipped for like Liverpool Aston Villa Chelsea you know and, and there's way more like ones that I'm not even thinking about who like you see that promotion from the championship to the Premier League and it's happening in a competitive like you said unpredictable league 
which mm. keeps like the championship is like I mean I've watched championship it's good it's good quality football I, like you I wouldn't watch it I haven't watched it that much it's not televised mm-hmm. as much which is my excuse but like I mean it is it is it no but it is like it shows that the quality is there and like you said like I know Arsene Wenger used to argue that there should be a similar model in the Premier League of like an Arsenal B and a Liverpool B and I I'm, I'm with you on the I don't see it. I think it just strengthens the top. It just like skews the, it's like wealth in the world. And there's a huge problem with wealth in the world that it's just skewing and more and more. And the d- divide between rich and poor is, 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 is widening. But I actually think that the, the leagues below the Premier League are, are, you know, by all signs, it seems to be that they're flourishing or at least that there's, there's a stability that they can count on just because of the existence of the Premier League and the model by which they do. And, 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 and like, community like beyond the the clubs below the premier league communities are being benefited by the premier league the the mm-hmm. the public coffers are being you know benefited by the premier league and and by it starting back up in the midst of the pandemic it did generate mm. it generate much needed funds because every government and every social system in the world was had to give more money away than they than they normally would have had to do and if they didn't have big businesses like the Premier League generating income that would be a lot worse off than they are now. Like there was arguments about fans going to games and all those sort of things and I understand public safety but if the Premier League hadn't have broadcast its games there would have been a lot of money that we don't even know where like it, it definitely helped a lot of things especially with public health like without that mm. money you know things do suffer. And I think one final point there before we move into the last section um, of the podcast is the Premier League has a charitable arm mm. uh, called the Premier League Charitable Fund and they invested £33 million last year in local charities. Of so course. they do give a, a huge amount of money back, which they should rightly because they generate an awful lot of money. So uh, they give an awful lot of money back to the, the communities that they're um, based in. So, But, 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 uh, but just, to, just to expand on what you're doing there just before we finish is that like we're talking about departments and clubs and 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 mm-hmm. arms of clubs and stuff like that like every single premier league under a different different titles because you know what do you call this particular job but they all now have departments that their sole purpose is how their club benefits the local community like and that mm-hmm. in itself like i mean again call it a pr exercise if it's a pr exercise that does some good who cares it's they, they don't yeah. have to they don't have to do it yeah, and that thirty-three million pounds as well is just from the Premier League charitable fund. So that's that's notwithstanding football clubs who go out and do good work themselves. Yeah, exactly. Amongst the community. So um, yeah, I think the last section I wanted to touch on before we did wrap up, and it was homegrown players, and it's a not a it's a substantial section in the report, and it's details how under twenty-three players and the amount of minutes they've gotten has increased over the last number of years. And in the last three seasons, there's been a 50% increase in the number of players, under 23 players, getting game time in the Premier League. So I don't know whether that's anything to do with Brexit, um, but it certainly shows the Premier League teams are investing a lot of their money in youth players. Yeah. And that, I mean, we could say that that's probably to do with like, you know, we all say that one of that, the line in the sand was the Neymar transfer and transfers mm. have ever since then been kind of wildly different to what they used to be. But, um, and if the, and if the Neymar transfer caused that, that's actually, to me, that's a positive thing then is that maybe the spending and the, the, the huge spending on transfers um, 
reached saturation point and now people are turning more towards development and like I mean I would always be uh, I'm a fan who gets really excited when a player comes through an academy or an under 23 yeah. breaks into the the first team there's nothing more exciting mm-hmm. than seeing some player that you've kind of the name has been named on the bench a few times and then they come on they do a great job like you know be it defensively or scoring a goal like it's just it's a huge buzz to see a, a local lad coming through at the club it must be incredibly satisfying for Chelsea fans who for so long <laughs> they were pretty much the uh, the first club that were backed by a, a sugar daddy for want of a better word um, well, many people called Roman Abramovich a sugar daddy <laughs> an oil daddy uh, yeah who came in and bought every player that he thought imaginable before financial fair play and for years, Chelsea just hoovered up players by spending large and vast amounts of money. And it must be pleasurable for Chelsea fans now when you look at this season in particular, you look at their starting lineup and there's four or five youth team players or academy players yeah. in the starting lineup. So, um, yeah, I think that's a sign or it's a result of the 50% increase in the amount of under 23 players. For and sure. also, just like the the standard of the league as as a whole hasn't gone down because of it in fact it's probably benefited from it because over the last three years um, of the 12 finalists in both the Europa League and Champions League finals eight or sorry seven of the teams have been from the Premier League so yeah. the dominance has, pa- has continued in into Europe and um, also as well you just have to look at the last Euro uh, 2020 even though it was last year um, 160 players uh, of the players that played in the tournament played in either the Premier League or the Championship. And that was uh, something like 64 players more than the next closest league, which was Germany, who had uh, 91 players from the yeah. German League playing in the European Championship. That's huge. So it just goes to show you, like in domestic European competitions for their clubs, Premier League teams are doing really well. And also they're representing their national teams as yeah. well. So they're, And they're obviously attracting the top international talent promoting from like the leagues below them and locally and you know under 23 players from the area but they're also attracting like you know another reason is they're attracting the best managers in the world as well like the premier league has the best managers in the world now like it, without it, doubt without doubt like you know it's all the top like you know if you've got Tuchel Klopp and Guardiola in your like in your league that's that's huge I mean, no disrespect to Spurs fans, but Antonio Conte, who's just won two oh, Serie actually, A yeah, titles with Inter Milan, yeah. is at a club like, I don't say like saying a club like Spurs. Uh, but a club like Spurs. I'm sure Spurs fans, <laughs> I'm sure Spurs fans will understand what I mean. Um, and even look at last season, uh, you had Carlo Ancelotti at Everton, at Everton. who has, who's won three European Cups, you know, the the quality that Premier League clubs can attract in terms of managers yeah. is is amazing. You know, Jose Mourinho was at Spurs last season. I know. A guy who's won two European Cups. So, um, and Roy yeah, Hodgson has just league. gone to Watford. <laughs> there you go. A man who's managed 642 international teams. So. There you go. Hmm. I think as a whole, we've been overwhelmingly positive. And do you want to wrap up by being a bit of a curmudgeon before we leave? Go on. Hey, have you got something? I honestly don't have anything bad to say. Well, it, it's it's raining outside. There you go. There you go. I have and nothing bad positive, to say. <laughs> on that positive note, I would uh, anybody who's interested in football and you know 
looking at the financial side of things and being interested in more than what happens on the pitch as well. I would in, uh, implore anybody to go and read this report. It's um, on the Premier League's website. Just give it a Google. It's the uh, economic and social impact of the Premier League. And it's uh, it's only 32 pages. It's got some nice pictures as well. So it's not all statistics and, and uh, pie charts. Yeah. There's and, a few and, and lovely photos there thrown in as well. If you don't fancy reading the whole report, the the... The Premier League has a synopsis of it as well, which is quite informative as well, which with lovely ch- charts and pictures as well. And lovely illustrations. Not too, everyone would read 32 I'll, pages, Colin, is all I'm saying. No, I'm not biased, but I'm going to say our summation is far better than what you'll find on the PremierLeague.com. So on that positive note, we'll speak to you very soon. We've been the linesman. 